after the whole affair, uh, there was a professor in, Nijme in Nijmegen University, and I was brought there after the kidnapping in Nijmegen. And I was in hospital for two days or so. Uh, three. Three days. Yes, to recover. And to recover. And I, I discussed with him, or he advised me to go on holidays and write down everything. As far as you can in your memory, write it down. And that's what I did on the Bahamas. This, this is the notebook I had on the Bahamas, and I've written down everything. So this was my, my work during night. Yes. She has seen me writing all the time, so all my, all my memories, as far as, as I could, as, as a daily routine. So it starts on the 2nd of October, and well, it goes on, 3rd of October, 4th of October. So in my recollection, then, I went through the whole affair again. It's a small, it's a small block note, and uh, it's a little bit dirty, and there are a lot of pages. In total, there are uh, 50, 50 written pages, and I have made a lot of corrections in it. And, uh, it's uh, not nice to show to other people. <laughs> I'm still being tired. Yeah. Being tired, he was tired, you can see that. He would never ever uh, write it this no. messy, no, no. <laughs> because he was tired. But, no, yeah. uh, it was an emotion. Yeah, to, you made the diary almost 30 years ago. Yes. How often would you say you have looked at it since then? Uh, uh, almost never. Uh, maybe I have been through it uh, once or twice in 30 years. But now... Hmm? So that's how he is. Uh, <laughs> if it's over, it's over. It is done, and it's there, and that's it. He, he's able to do that, to have knobs turned off and on. And who did you show, show it to before? No. Nobody. Nobody. You're the first one who sees it. Who sees it? Yeah. yeah. I knew. Yeah, she knew. But, but, uh, no, I think nobody. No, nobody has seen this. Not, not the children, nobody. Even not my children. That's private, it's a diary. In 75, Cosgrave's Law and Order Coalition was in government. On October 2nd that year, you were busy showing American visitors around your factory in Anacati, just outside Limerick. So you hardly noticed that 12 people died in UVF attacks that same day. The IRA was on a ceasefire, of sorts, though some of its members were getting disillusioned. None of that mattered much to you. The next morning when you met Eddie and Marion, it mattered. I went out of the garage, I drove about 100 meters, 200 meters on Monoline Road where we lived, and then I was stopped by a policeman, at least he had a police uniform, and uh, he asked me, are you Dr. Herma? And I said, yes, I am, and then he said, come out of the car, blah, 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 and then I had to go in another car in the back seat, and I was immediately blindfolded and so on. They drove... Uh, in the other direction, just I passed my home again. So. <laughs> and uh, yeah, at that moment, they, they asked me the name of the German ambassador, and I said, I'm Dutch. And, uh, and they were a little bit surprised. And then immediately, I, uh, 
I, I think it's uh, it's strange, but I immediately started to make a plan to 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 be organized to know what's what's going on to uh, where where am i in which direction are we going so i couldn't see anything but i saw some lights and i saw i saw the sun so oh oh we are driving north we are driving north and uh, who are they in the car we were with uh, the four of us three of them and myself and uh, try to find out who they are and and uh, listen to the motor of the of the car to find out what what sort of car is it and uh, yeah so the first uh, half hour or three quarters of an hour i was just trying to orientate where am i what is this uh, what are they doing uh, where are we going uh, how many people etc and then we we stopped after a certain time, I don't know exactly, but maybe three quarters of an hour, we stopped. I haven't seen it, but at a farm, because I heard sounds of, of animals, and there they they had the plan to change cars, but finally they didn't do it, and uh, I heard other voices, and I heard another car, and then we drove from that farm to what afterwards seems to be Mount Melek, but the only thing I t- I try to do is uh, where am I? What is this? What are they doing? Uh, uh, thinking about uh, don't be aggressive yourself or let let them go. Uh, find out where you are. Uh, make make a plan. <laughs> I was put in in a small room. And I, I I felt so rather uncomfortable, and uh, put on a bed. And uh, there they left me on on my own, and there I started. Uh, so, yeah, where am I? Yeah, in in a, in a small room and uh, on a bed and uh, nothing to eat. I became hungry. So, <laughs> what I found out rather soon that there was a girl with it. So I I knew that there was a girl with them, and two two young men. And what was the atmosphere in the car and then in Mount Malik among the other people? Oh, they were, they were, yeah, they were yeah. nervous, uh, frightened, uh, shouting to each other. Uh, they, they, they were, they were not friendly, or not also against each other. But yeah, they, they were not nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were rather rather loved. Yeah, I, I was I was an object, so they they treated me as a, as a sack. So put put me in there and sit on me. And but no, I can't understand that. They were very nervous. For them, it was a lot of excitement. You were from Arnhem in Holland, and for two years in your fifties, Limerick was your home, and you became its biggest employer. You gave a living to 1,200 people in an area of high unemployment in an economy reeling from the effects of the oil crisis in the early 70s. Eddie Gallagher and Marion Coyle demanded the release of three prisoners in exchange for you. They thought you were so important to the Irish that the government would give in. What followed was a 36-day standoff for you, the longest, darkest month. I, I happened to be in Arnhem at the very moment with the sun. Uh, and uh, the sun left for the company where he worked. Uh, so That's I the same company I was working for. for so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then the telephone rang and 
somebody from the board asked me, could I come to the head office? And didn't say why. And I thought, hmm, what can I do there? But okay, I said, I'll, I'll come. And a few minutes later, the son came back home. It was early in the morning. He threw his uh, uh, suitcase on the floor and said, Daddy is catnapped. And we we were surprised and almost laughing. But what sort of nonsense is that, kidnapped? And then I understood why they wanted me at the head office. So uh, I was wondering, what, what's happening? What is that? For? And then there they told us that they got a message from Dublin that... Uh, Somebody had taken him. And then I decided to go immediately back to uh, Limerick because the two sons, being his father, father, kidnapped, and I were on their own, though they were at the school where the head of headmaster was a very good friend of ours. I wasn't worried that it would be... A, but I said, well, I'll take them back to Arnhem. And the the... the president of the company he said okay we go directly and they hired the plane and we went over to collect the children the children were at the airport and the army was there and the police was there and it was a very strange situation of course they were upset the youngest one was was crying and the other one was more composed and we flew off and uh, well, I was wondering what, what was what was this all. But from the very moment I thought, as my husband always was able to cope, whatever happened, you would be able to cope with this too. And I thought he's a strong personality, good health, uh, with a lot of experiences, uh, could face problems, physical problems, being hungry or thirsty or whatever. He wouldn't mind. That would be not a point. He would not get mad or I shout. Didn't, I didn't know that it was so good. <laughs> you, you were, as you are. Yes. I wish to earnestly appeal to the people who have kidnapped my husband to return him safely to me and my family. My husband is a good and kind man, devoted to his family and to his work, work which is important to Ireland and particularly to Limerick. That was the second day or so that I... Uh, people convinced me that it would be good that I reacted and uh, I've, I wanted to be to help my private life and to protect the children. Will you describe Mount Melek for me, what the conditions were like? It was a very small room. There was a bed. They throw me on the bed. And at that time, my feet were tied, my hands were tied. I was blindfolded. But dusty, dirty, stinking. Uh, no, not nice. And were you blindfolded all the time? Yes, yeah, yeah all the time. Uh, up to... I don't know exactly, but maybe 14 days or so. And what about your ears? 
No, no, nothing special. Yeah, there, there, there has been a period that they had some cotton wool in my ears, but that, that was not, not all the time. I could, I could hear reasonable because when I was in uh, Mount Melik, I could hear a, a radio, a radio in the other room. So I heard the noise of, of a radio. And did you hear news bulletins? Yes, because that Eddie Gallagher, no, no, I didn't know at that time it was Eddie, but uh, at the time of the news, he, it was portable radio, he, and he took the radio and st stood in the, op in the door opening. So he opened the door, and I could hear the news. ...saying that Mr. Harema would be killed within 48 hours unless Dr. Rose Dugdale, Kevin Mallon and Jim Highland were immediately released from prison. Garthi are appealing for information about a dark green Cortina car... He didn't realise how important information that gave to me. Yeah, this is, this is rather in the beginning, the 7th of October... Heel erg emotioneel. Hij is waarschijnlijk ook wel intelligent, maar hij heeft waarschijnlijk geen schoolopleiding. He is, he is very emotional, but he seems to be intelligent, but he has no school education. He uses a lot of slogans and terms about politics and about Marxism, but he doesn't really know what it means, I think. He likes his guns and plays with guns all the time during our discussions and at certain moments he puts the gun against my head or in my back. Hoe betrouwbaar is hij? Ik wil heel open tegen hem zijn en zo sportief mogelijk. Het is een gedeelte van mijn politiek om hem te accepteren als een betrouwbaar, open sportsman. Die vecht voor zijn idealen en zijn theorieën. How reliable is he? I'm very open and sportive to him. It's part of my policy to accept him as a reliable sportsman who fights for his ideas and theories. I want a good relationship with him and accept him as a normal person. Als een normaal persoon. Did you sleep? Yeah, I I say no, yeah, but at the same time I know that you can't you can't be without sleep for fourteen days or or three days. So I must have slept, but uh, yeah, half an hour or or an hour, and then wake up again and then try to find out where you are and what's going on. And in the meantime, uh, I heard people in that other room. So and uh, sometimes there came a car. In front of the, that small farm, and uh, I, I heard voices, and so there was there was a lot, <laughs> a lot to listen, and sometimes there was a helicopter in over the over that house, so and I didn't understand why it did come down. So. <laughs> Ik bespreek met Eddie Kelleher de situatie waar we de situatie waar we in zijn, en Ik maak hem duidelijk dat ik wel met hem wil praten. This is the 8th of October. Hij vertelt mij dat hij een soldaat is. En als hij een soldaat is, dan mag hij mij als burger niet doodschieten. I discuss with Eddie Keller the situation we are in. 
and I tell him that uh, I try to build up a relationship with him. He told me that he is a soldier, and as when he is a soldier, he is not allowed to kill an innocent civilian. I promise him not to run away or not to escape under the condition that he a doesn't kill me and b that he treats me better than he has done up till now. But at that time there is a helicopter over the house and again he is very nervous and keeps his pistol against my head. At what stage did you start talking to Eddie Gallagher? Every moment I could talk to them or ask them questions or 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 start a discussion. I, I did it because that that's what you need uh, to understand people. You should talk to them. So I I talked as as much as possible, but there were only a few possibilities. They weren't in the room. Uh, I had a discussion with Sadie Kelleher and about the fact that I was blindfolded. And, uh, but I had to do that while he was standing in, in the door opening. So I was lying on the bed and he was standing there in the door opening. And I always tried by, by asking questions. He should come in the room, but he didn't, didn't come. Then at, a few days later... I asked him, could I take off my blindfold? And and then he said, yes, uh, when you have a meal, uh, we'll take off the blindfold, but you should, you promise us, me, Eddie Kelleher, not to look at the moment we come in, so he, he wouldn't know who he was. He told me on a certain way that uh, I'm, I'm a soldier and... Uh, then I said, well, if you are a soldier, uh, you, you should treat me uh, as, as a, a prisoner of war. And there is a convention of Geneva, and the way you are treating me now are in conflict with, with that treaty. So you should do it in another way. And then, yeah, he accepted it, but he didn't change the situation. And with Eddie Gallagher, when you got to know him, was your developing sense of, of who he was or what sort of a person he was? Uh, the first thing, as, as I read before, emotional. So a lot of emotions. He, he could shout and jump. and uh, Yeah, yeah. he was young. That, that's another point. So that I, I realized there that he was uh, as, as young as my eldest son. So I saw him a little bit as, as a son. Huh? So... Um. <laughs> It's hardly to believe, but I I think it was a rather nice person. <laughs> yeah, really, that I had the impression from the beginning. So, but different with Marion. Yeah, for for Marion, I I had I had no idea. I can't say that she was. Uh, I couldn't reach her. She 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 didn't she didn't want to talk to me. She didn't want to to have contact with me. Sometimes he shouted something, so he shut up or so. For, I think that, that's the difference. For Marion Coyle, I was just a subject they needed. And for Eddie Kelleher, I became more and more a person. That's the difference. And which of them was in control? I, I don't know. Fin finally... Uh, Marion Coyle took the decisions, but, but Eddie Kelleher 
I think that she was more in control than Eddie Kelleher. But for for her it was also a little bit yeah, easier because Eddie Kelleher literally jumped always in front. So immediately he, he reacted on everything immediately and she was a little bit quiet, uh, uh, looking, so waiting. The whole country is being turned upside down looking for you. Gardaí have issued photos of your kidnappers. The net is closing around the cottage in Mount Mellick, County Leash, and safe houses are becoming scarce. Uh, I'll, I'll first try to explain why I've written this. After a few days in, in Mount Mellick, it was uh, not so nice to make an understatement, uh, he promised me to go to another place. And during the night, and after four or five days, we went in a car and we went to what I call, I don't know exactly where it was and where it is, I still now don't know exactly where it is, but to a small, I call it a Swiss cottage. It, it was a wooden house and inside it was rather warm, it was very nice to be there and they gave me something to eat and then after half an hour or an hour or so they said I should go outside and wait outside so I was standing there outside and it was in the middle of the night so now it's Saturday the 11th of October na lang wachten en na een uh, gesprek met Eddie Kelleher over verschillende onderwerpen komt er een auto and we gaan naar een ander huis. After long waiting and discussions with Eddie Kelleher about different subjects, a car arrives and we are going to change houses. We arrive after a certain while in a, what I call a Swiss cottage. It was a very nice and warm. They gave me a meal, but then I had to wait outside. I was standing in the dark blindfolded and my hands tied. Could I run away? Because I have the possibility now, they are not, not looking after me or at me, so I could run away. But at the same time I say, no, I can't do that, because I promised not to run away and I won't break my promise. I promised not to do so, so I stay. Toen we bij dat Zwitserse cottage weg waren gegaan, na een half uurtje auto rijden, zeiden ze tegen mij, je moet je blinddoek afdoen, we zullen je helpen en we zullen je handen losmaken en we gaan naar een huis toe en je moet zo normaal mogelijk proberen om van de auto naar dat huis te lopen, want als mensen je zien, dan moet het zo normaal mogelijk lijken. Zo. When we came to the other house, they asked me to take off the blindfold and they helped me with it and the tape from my hands because I had to walk in the new house as normal as possible because people could see us. I get some indications because the blindfold was off and I saw a signpost NAS, eight kilometers or eight miles, I don't know. There was a shop named Robinson and I got another sign, St. Patrick's Park, playing children, caution. And then 
going in the house, we went up the stairs and they put me in the box room, as it later seemed to be. I was again blindfolded and tied with hands and feet. In the end, your captors settle for a tiny semi-D in a council estate in Manastraven. For you, home becomes a room little bigger than a large double bed. Some of your neighbours are soldiers taking part in the manhunt. No, yeah, I went in the house and we immediately had to go upstairs and the other direction back in a small room. As they later say that normally in Ireland it's a box room. It was a room from two metres by two metres, so four square metres, and there we were. Yeah, in the first days I was there on my own. They were in in another in a bedroom, next to that box room. And uh, days were long. We had to wait and uh, doing nothing. What things could you hear? Because I, I'm I'm imagining being in that room, and you faced out onto the street. What I mainly heard are trains. And I tried to find out uh, at the time, looking at my watch, but I still had the watch. Um, <clears throat> what time is it now? Where does the, because I had no idea where it was. Where does the train come from? And then I said, well, it might, might come from Dublin. And uh, it's so now. So maybe it left Dublin at that and that time. So and every day on the same time that that train came uh, at the morning at 10 o'clock or in the afternoon at 3 o'clock or so. So by the train I tried to find out where am I, but uh, I didn't manage. The company says it's satisfied from a tape recording that Dr. Hedema is still alive. Mentally and physically I have suffered already. Please do not put my life in further danger by looking for me. Please help me. It's a funny story about how he read it, because our youngest son, who has a talent for dialects, etc., uh, there were always discussions, was it really his voice, and was it really daddy who was talking? And then officially, more or less officially, this young fellow said, no doubt for me, because of the good English and the bad accent. <laughs> so he says, only my bad who can say it's so correct, but in such a poor way. <laughs> Which was fun. Yeah. What was it like for you, Mrs. Herrema, when you heard those tape messages? Uh, well, the text, I didn't take it seriously, because I knew he had to say those things. Uh, but it didn't change my trust that he, he was... Uh, in control of the whole situation. But it must have been very upsetting for you as well. Uh, oh no, it was not really upsetting me. It didn't make me emotional or... Uh, no. Do you remember crying? Uh, no, I don't think... No, no, I don't think... I, I was nervous. But uh, no, not crying. No. And what about you? Uh, I think I didn't cry the whole time. Thinking of her. Yeah, one one day that is in the book also. So stop thinking about our youngest son. So that, that, that's being uh, a small fellow. Would you read that for me? Uh, if I can't can't find it because we had a nice discussion <coughs> a week ago. 
I said to my wife, there is a sentence about not thinking about harm. That's the youngest son. And she said, no, I haven't seen it. I said, well, it is in. And so I went through it and through it and through it. And I couldn't find it. And finally I found it. But I don't know where it is. So I think it's right in the beginning. That starts here, here, ongeveer. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, here it is. On Sunday, the 19th of October. Wat doe je op zondag normaal? Met mijn gedachten gaan naar huis. Ik heb mijn gedachten aan harm. What do you normally do on Sunday? So I think about home. And by the thoughts of my son, harm. I have been crying a little bit. But I decided to stop with that and not to think again about my wife and my children. I bend them out of my thoughts. At the time we were in Monasterevan, we knew also by the news that the police were looking where we were. And I don't know the exact date, but at a certain date, Eddie Kelleher said to me, uh, they are coming to search the house. And then we will go up the attic. So that was a form of warning that they were coming. I don't know how he knew. And then the following day he said, well, now they are coming. And we went up to the attic. And we were sitting there with the three of us, Marion Coyle, Eddie Keller and myself. And uh, the police came in the house and they searched the house opened that small, what is it, like, uh, opening in the attic. And uh, I saw I saw his face, I saw the face of the policeman, so looking around, but he didn't see us. <coughs> and then he went away. That, that again was a moment, uh, <coughs> because if I would have made some noise, they certainly would have found us. But I had promised Eddie Kelleher, uh, not to run away, uh, not to fly, not to so. Uh, you can say, well, I more or less helped him at that moment not to find this. He had a gun. Maybe, maybe that was. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. He always had a gun with him, so it was. That was he. He never had empty hands. You can't see them yet, but at 7 a.m. on October 21st, armed detectives approach just outside your window. Out the back, snipers crawl across the garden. Early in the morning, they came in the house with a lot of noise and well, shouting and shooting and, uh, and Eddie Kelleher shoot on the police. Now, Eddie Kelleher and Marion Coyle were in the other bedroom, but at the moment that they forced the door, they came out of that other room and he came in the, in the box room and then he closed the door, he took that small mattress that was put it in front of the door and tried to barricade the door. And then the police didn't come up the stairs because uh, I don't know why, but they stopped downstairs and we were upstairs. The police is buiten. Ze hebben ons dus gevonden. En ik discuss met Eddie Kelleher de situatie. The police is outside. They have found us. We discussed that without food and drink we could survive another two days. We are very hungry and very thirsty. Eddie Kelleher filters his urine through a piece of the blanket and tries to drink that. 
I tell him that he better can suck his fingers for the coming 24 hours. That gives him the feeling that he eats and drinks. We have no toilet facilities and my little girl has her bad days. One day later, we have a possibility, find help by the police, to have some food through the basket lift. I call it the basket lift because they were downstairs, we were upstairs, and there was a rope with a small basket in it. The siege continues at the house in County Kildare where Dr. Herrimer is being held at gunpoint. From Monaster Evan, Reg Cullen reports. It's in Evans Park is now turning into a psychological struggle. Garda admitted this morning that their main tactic would be the waiting game depending mainly on the kidnappers realizing that there's no hope of escape and to give up. They said that their object was to get the business over without loss of life. A Garda spokesman said that they knew that there was very little food upstairs and they had offered food and drink to the kidnappers. And then you were there for another 17 days? Yes. Yeah. In that one room? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You want details? No. <laughs> no, that wasn't nice. A woman is also believed to be in the room with Eddie Gallagher and Dr. Herma. While at one stage it was thought that Gallagher was alone with his captive, Garda say they believe they heard a woman's voice in the room. No toilet facilities, so just imagine. Huh? With the three of you, no toilet facilities, no water, nothing. The Dutch ambassador, Dr. Van Ralte, visited the scene this morning with other embassy officials and later left for Dublin. This is Red Cullen and Monaster Evan. We had some new, some newspapers, some papers, and we had that paper on the floor. And uh, yeah, that that was an old mattress we, we had there in front. So that was that was the toilet. I had to throw out everything. Uh, we, uh, later on, we had the chamber pot because Eddie Kelleher asked the police, uh, Larry Ren, can we have a chamber pot? And then the chamber pot came up with the, uh, with the basket. And uh, each time when there was something in the pot, I had to throw it out of the window. Oh, that's, that's a nice joke. <laughs> the church leaders called for the release of Dr. Herriman. In a statement signed by Cardinal Conway, Dr. Sims, the Presbyterian moderator, Dr. Temple Lundy, and Methodist president, Dr. Headley Plunkett, the churchmen say, with Irish people and those in other lands, we appeal to those now holding Dr. Herrimer to release him unharmed to his wife and family without further... What was the mood among Eddie and Marion like at this stage? They more and more got the feeling we are going to lose. And I try to build it up and, and discuss it with them and say, well, there is no way out and you could do this or do that and so And that all was part of the discussion, so you're going to lose. This is on Thursday, the 6th of November. But I'll do it in English immediately. Ed Kelleher is very tired. He has all sorts of complaints. He has pain in his neck. I gave him a massage. He plans to force the situation for the coming weekend, for example, by hurting me, cut off one of my fingers, or tell me again that he is a real soldier, so he doesn't attack, he can't attack an innocent civilian. And his health was deteriorating, wasn't it? Yes, he was. He was, he was really. Though he had cramp in his, in his neck, and he, he really had cramp in his neck. Uh, but that that was that was the sign that he had mentally he had given up already. But he he couldn't say that to Marion Coyle or couldn't say that to the police. 
so that he 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 flew in sickness, and he was always about cramping his neck. So I gave him a massage and blah blah blah. So I I knew. So this is the beginning of the end. In in yeah, how they behaved in in uh, the complaints of Eddie Kelleher, uh, uh, the, the more or less nervousness of Marion Coyle, that that it would end. And were you worried that he might uh, that he might shoot you? Yes, but but again, that that up and down. Well, there were periods that they said, well, now he's going to do it, but uh, no, he didn't do it. Pardon? Okay, but well now before you come down, throw your guns out the window. Oh no! Oh no! Not you throw out, not throw out your guns, and I'll, I'll, I'll have to take away the barricades then. Throw your guns out first. You don't, don't. You're nothing to fear. Nothing ought to happen here. No, no question of it. Throw your guns out the window. At the end of the whole situation on Thursday in October, in November, it was the beginning of November. Eddie Kelleher was very tired and he finally gave up because uh, Marion Coyle, she didn't say so much, but then she said at the end, uh, coming down, coming down. And then Larry Wren, who was downstairs, said, what do you say, what do you say? Coming down, coming down. And that's how it ended. During your 36 days as a prisoner, the Guilford Four were sentenced to life in prison. Four men were killed in a Republican feud. The UVF killed another two Catholics and the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland ended special category status for paramilitary prisoners. You went home to Holland and life went on. Eddie got 20 years, Marion got 15. The 7th of November. This is the last moment on Friday, the 7th of November. Eddie Kelleher, during the period that he had the cramp in his neck, uh, he emptied his pockets and he gave me my pocket knife and the screwdriver. And then he took a bullet out of his pocket and he said, and this one was meant for you. And at 21, 30 hours, I walked as a free man down the stairs in the house in Monastereven. And I was greeted by a big group of policemen, soldiers, etc. Om 21.30 uur liep ik als een vrij man de trap af van het huis in Monastereven. En werd verwelkomd door een grote groep politie, soldaten, etc. Meneer Quint van de Nederlandse ambassade was de eerste Nederlander die ik zag. No, no question of it. Throw your guns out the window. Okay, right. Fair enough. Okay, there's one down. Okay. Okay. Right, third one. Throw, throw the third one out. You have a third one. Take your time for a minute or two now because I have barricades here I want to remove. All right. One by one now, please. Okay. Take those out of the way there. Have you take your hands out of your pockets, please? 
Okay. 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 Okay.